A nameless assassin is betrayed by her handler, her family and friends executed, and she's shot in the head. She miraculously survives, but she lost her unborn daughter in the process. She embarks on a roaring rampage of revenge to track down and kill every member of the deadly Viper assassination squad, culminating in their deadly feared leader in the 2003 action epic Kill Bill. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Colton Jenkins. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Filmgasm Podcast. Our anniversary spotlights continue with part one of Quentin Tarantino's Ode to 70s martial arts movies and grindhouse features, Kill Bill, starring Uma Thurman as a warrior known only as The Bride. Kill Bill Volume 1 is celebrating 20 years this year. Uh, We'll only be covering Volume 1 of Tarantino's action opus, but we will absolutely cover Volume 2 in the future. Uh, What's your uh, experience with Kill Bill? Um, I always say my dad, I'm going to say it again. Uh, He, I've, I remember um, coming downstairs uh, one night to like get water or something and they were watching it and they had to pause it because they, my mom and my dad were watching it. And I was like, oh, I want to watch this. And my dad was like, no, get the fuck back upstairs and go back to sleep. So I finally watched it. It was it was my first Tarantino movie. And um, I loved it so much. Um, and it wasn't Kill Bill. It was Inglorious Bastards, which is the second Tarantino movie I ever watched. But um, Tarantino was the guy who made me realize I loved movies with Inglorious Bastards. It's the movie that made me a movie guy. Damn. That's yeah. awesome. That's really cool. I had a I had a similar experience with Kill Bill. Um, it was Kill Bill two though. Uh, oh. My family, I think it was on, on like a vacation house or something. I remember it wasn't our normal TV, and like I was in the other room, and I walked in on Kill Bill Volume Two, and I started watching it, and I, my family was like, "Yeah, okay, you can watch this one." They wouldn't let me watch the first one, so I didn't really know <laughs> what was going on. Uh, I didn't know who this was or what she was doing. I just remember Bud going wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. <laughs> uh, a while later, I ended up watching the first one and I thought, oh, this is badass. And uh, so Kill Bill 2 was officially my first Quentin Tarantino. And I never looked back. <laughs> Weird great. watching the second one first because you're just like, I don't know why, but I like this. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know he he refers to them as one movie. Yeah. Um, and I think most, most of us do, but if you had to pick one or two, which one is your favorite? One easily one. Yeah. One is so good. Yeah. And I'm, that's no despair. It's not disparaging part two. Part two is just more uh, narrative driven. It's more focused on the relationship between Beatrix as we learn and bill, which is great. I love that dynamic, mm-hmm. but the first one is so fucking balls to the wall, grisly action, violence, gory as fuck. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to watch the fabled uh Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair, which is both films edited together as one big movie. Uh I've never been able to find a copy of apparently they do exist out there. Uh <laughs> I'm hoping because next year will be the 20th anniversary of volume two that we'll get some kind of 4K super epic release of 
both films together. That would be cool. That would be nice. I would love that. But uh, as it stands, got to watch one and two separately. Uh, so my question to you, you're well-versed in Tarantino. You haven't seen them all, but you've seen most of them. What would you consider to be his masterpiece? Um, so it changes every single time I watch one of his movies, every single time Damn. I have always said, I think it's Pulp Fiction just because, you know, it's Pulp Fiction, man. Um, but I just recently watched Django yesterday and I got like chills many times watching that movie. I felt like a fucking dork. I'm sitting there getting chills and I'm like talking to the I was I was home alone. My wife was gone. So I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm geeking out over this movie. And then Jamie Foxx says the line, I like the way you die, boy. And I was like, this is the this is his best movie. <laughs> this is his best movie. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. Django Unchained is a fucking masterpiece and just a fantastic movie. I um I did it on the show not too long ago with Adam and Maja. And we had a very spirited conversation about the about violence in media and historical accuracy of slavery and mm. all the stuff that movie brings up. And it's a, you know, it's a divisive movie. I get why some people have trouble watching it. It's a vicious movie. But, so, you know, slavery was was not yeah. a cakewalk. Like, it was, no. it was a horror for centuries. So I think yeah. this captured it pretty damn accurately. It does. And not only is it hard to to watch it, but, a, like, the some, like. DiCaprio had an issue acting in this movie. No, he didn't want to, you know, say racial slurs and Jamie Foxx and Samuel L. Jackson had to talk him into it. I think the what Jamie Foxx says that got DiCaprio in the mood was he was like, listen, you have to, you know, we're not friends. We are your property. Act like it. And apparently the next day uh, DiCaprio came in and didn't fucking speak a word to anybody. And then they said action, and it's the scene when they first meet Calvin Candy. You imagine the fucking mental headspace Leonardo DiCaprio had to enter in order to find Calvin Candy. God. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. No. Um, I remember Samuel Jackson told him, "Like motherfucker, this is just another Tuesday for us." Yep, <laughs> that was his advice. Like just, it's just acting, baby. Yeah, let's do it. Um, but like, like I said, it changes every time. The opening scene to Inglorious Bat, the whole movie Inglorious Bastards. Like I say, that's the movie that got me into film. Um, I'm sure I'll watch Inglorious Bastards in a week, and I'll be like, oh no, it's it's this one. But that opening scene is perfect. Bastards is is the one I go back to the most when I'm considering like what his his masterpiece is. Uh, there's just that movie so fucking beautifully constructed. It's uh, it unfolds like a fairy tale. It's fantastic. It's well acted. I love that he has the you know the American speaking English and the German speaking German and the French speaking French. Like I love that. You don't see that a lot in American film, which is sad. Um, and it's got some of the most tense scenes in movie history. The whole scene in the uh, in the basement bar. Oh, and you do when he holds up the three fingers. Oh, oh my god, god. <laughs> it's so fucking tense. Just this, you know, dialect master trying to yeah. figure out who the hell is this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know that he knows that, and they know that he know that. It's, it's, oh my god! <laughs> and of course, 
the dialect master is there. Yeah, the guy who knows every dialect in Germany just happens to be having a big boot full of beer. Yeah, in the basement. <laughs> I love when he's like, he's like, yeah, my gun's pointing at your balls right now, and Michael Fassbender's like, well, my gun's been pointing at your balls since you sat down at our table. Then Stiglitz just boom right in his crotch, yeah. like that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, man, you don't got to be Stonewall Jackson to know you don't want to fight in a basement. <laughs> Uh, yeah, bastards is one of my all-time favorites. I so when I'm cycling through like the Tarantino masterworks, the ones that keep getting like you know knocked off the top spot and replacing it, it fluctuates for me between Pulp Fiction, Bastards, Django, Kill Bill One, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All of those so are pretty, on equal footing for me. So just all of his movies, basically. Much, you know, I got to say, he's one of my favorite filmmakers for a reason. The guy does not fucking miss. He really hasn't. He, yeah, I don't think he has a bad. Uh, granted, I've only seen, uh, I've only seen Kill Bill, Django, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bastards. Um, I think that's it. Oh, and uh, Reservoir Dogs. I just watched that recently. That one, that one was it was it was still good, but it, yeah, he has better movies. Well, you know, I mean, for a first-time film, for a first-time yeah. filmmaker, it's fucking solid. <laughs> uh, yeah, you told me before we started recording that uh, Jackie Brown and Death Proof were the two that you you have not yet seen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- both of those are, you know, Death Proof's widely regarded as his, like, worst movie because it's the most, like, campy and one note. But even that is about Kurt Russell as a killer stuntman. And it's fucking awesome. And it's got one of the hottest lap dance sequences in movie history. <laughs> And one of the coolest car chases ever with Zoe Bell, New Zealand stunt person Zoe Bell, literally like on top of a fucking like muscle car driving at 100 miles an hour. It's it's a real stunt. And it's amazing that she did that. And death proof slaps his worst movie. My ass. (laughs) Well, then what would you say his worst movie is? Uh, The one I don't. I I don't think oh. he has any bad movies, but the one I I like the least is the Hateful Eight. Eight. Yeah, Hateful Eight. I like Hateful Eight, but I just I don't know. I like Samuel L. Jackson. I like I don't know what you would call those types of movies. The one location. Would you call it? Would you call it like a cozy movie? I feel like the term is bottle movie. Movies that take place in one single location. I like those, and I like the twist at the end that they that they were under, you know, they were in the basement the whole time. That was cool. Um, yeah. I was I was underwhelmed by the Hateful Eight. I don't know. I've, I've seen it like four or five times now, and it's it's a decent watch. I, I like it, but I also know that this guy gave me Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained and yeah. Bill Bill. It's like my expectations are fucking high with Tarantino. Yeah. Um, if you want to, if you ever want to rewatch it, there is on Netflix, I believe. It's the extended version. It's gotten two part, four parts, four parts, yeah. four parts. It's long as fuck, but it's really good. I I watched it a couple of years ago. <laughs> didn't How, didn't help. No. <laughs> Sorry. No. It, don't apologize to me. <laughs> um. But yeah, I if I had to go to bat for one right now, it's bastards. Hmm. Yeah. I think I that's can't. how you know a filmmaker is good. If someone asks you what their favorite film is. And you have a different answer each time. That's how you know that that they're good at what they do. Damn right. That's that's good. I like that. That's how I feel about Tarantino, about the Cohen brothers. 
yeah. about Scorsese, Spielberg, like these, you know, the, the Titans for me. The only Coen Brothers movie that I fucking hate is Hail Caesar. I don't know why I hate it so much. It's just so boring, dude. Yeah, I don't care for Hail Caesar. I've only seen it the one time, and Austin tells me I gotta give it a rewatch, because he rewatched it, and he found something in it that he really liked. So, I haven't seen it since I saw it at the movies in 2016, so I it, I, it is overdue. You didn't like it the first time either? No. Oh, shit. Maybe we should all rewatch it again. <laughs> The, there is there is beauty and power in the second watch. There are there's a lot of movies that I despised that I gave us a, a second chance years later after I'd evolved as a person, and I thought they were fantastic. So you got to give some you know some stuff deserves another shot. Yeah, I I agree with that for sure. Is there any movie that you've watched that like does the opposite? Yes, yes, that happened recently actually. Um, there was a movie I watched a lot as a kid that I loved as a kid and I watched it recently and thought, yeah, this kind of sucks. And uh, the sixth day, that's what it was. Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie from 2000 deals with like cloning as a kid. I thought, Oh, this movie's badass. This is awesome. I watched it a few months ago and I thought, what the hell did I see in this movie? <laughs> this is terrible. Um, so mine, um, it wasn't like the second watch, but there was this movie from my childhood called the borrowers that I loved. I I loved it so much. I tried watching it again recently and it's still like a a fine movie, but I was like, what the fuck was I on? This movie is so lame. (laughs) Is that the one where like they call everybody human beings? Yes. And, uh, John Goodman plays, I think an exterminator. And I will say their costumes, everything like visually about that movie is good. Their costumes are cool. The set design's cool, but it's just boring. That's a shame. Yeah, I I do hate when like a movie I like loses punch when I watch it again. That that always feels sad. Like, you know, it's almost like, you know, you're raving to somebody about this restaurant that you loved. And then you go back and the service sucks. And you're like, why did I like this place? (laughs) This wasn't even good. <laughs> now I got to tell everybody I don't like this place. And I told no. them I love <laughs> That's sad. One day, you won't believe this. The other day I had Taco Bell and I was like, maybe I don't like Taco Bell. And then now I realized that I was sacrilege. I can't believe I said that. I feel like everybody likes Taco Bell, but not a lot of people admit it on camera like you just did. <laughs> no. Dude. It's so like people like to hate on it because they say it fucks up your stomach. No, it doesn't. No, if you eat it at like four in the morning, yeah, it's gonna yeah. fuck up your stomach. And someone said like, "Oh, but everything on the menu tastes the same." Sure, it might, but like, is that a bad thing? You know, like you're getting really good bites that are the same. I was watching this uh, comedian guy named Chris Porter, hilarious dude, and he did a a bit in one of his specials about Taco Bell. And he said that um, there was this college that did a investigation into Taco Bell and released a paper saying that their meat was only like 20% meat. And Taco Bell, in retaliation, took out a full page ad in a newspaper or magazine that said, fuck you, it's 80. Like, that's <laughs> honest as hell. Like, yeah, it's not all real meat, but, you know, it's a B minus. So, you know, give us some credit. I think now it is all real meat, thankfully. I love 
I love seeing that advertised in a fast food, like now serving like real meat. And I'm like, now serving? What the <laughs> hell have you been feeding me for the past 20 years? That's funny. I don't I don't remember where I saw it, but someone uh, did like a study of all the, like the major fast food chains. And apparently Taco Bell is technically the healthiest one because the they have the highest vegetable to like other thing ratio. Because yeah. most of the because they fill their taco with lettuce. Like that's what, it's like a little <laughs> meat, a shit ton of lettuce, and a lot of cheese. Like that's yeah, that's yeah that makes sense. I used to hate their tacos. I'd be like, why the fuck would you go to Taco Bell and get a taco when they have you know a fucking case Dorito, five layer burrito? Like what are you doing? And then I don't know what happened like a couple months ago. I had a taco from there and I was like, oh, I've been like shitting on this for no reason. This is God's gift to humanity. Probably going to have Taco Bell tomorrow. I'm probably going to have Taco Bell tonight when we're done recording. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm out in the hill country, far away from any kind of DoorDash. So not happening. But I know where there's a Taco Bell within driving distance. Um, Yeah. That's fine. One of my favorite, one more fast food anecdote, and then we'll move on. <laughs> but, uh, I was listening to this guy talk about his um, his brother had a severe allergy to chicken. And they went to McDonald's and the guy got like, you know, a, a Big Mac or whatever. And his, his the other guy got chicken nuggets and his brother was like, fuck it. I want to know what they taste like. So he grabbed a chicken nugget. And he took a bite. Nothing happened. <laughs> There's not enough chicken in there to trigger his allergies, which is scary. That's that's disgusting. <laughs> so yeah. Um my question to you. Okay. Uh, this movie is very much a revenge story. And, you know, so my, my question to you is what are the lengths you will go to to enact revenge? Yeah. And on yeah. top of that. Is revenge just about getting square or is about going a little bit extra? That would have to depend on the situation. Uh, I've never been in an, in an opportunity to get revenge, thankfully. Like, no, nobody ever wronged me to the point where I have, you know, my entire life is revolving around destroying them. That's not happened to me yet. I emphasize yet. Um, I guess. Getting revenge is very much about making yourself try to feel better about the situation and wronging the other party. I would say, I, I would say you got to go one up. Like, you know, you can't just do what they did to you. You got to make, you know, you got to, got to, like, you can't call. You got to bet. Yeah. Raise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of like, there's no instances in my life or anybody I know who like really got a legitimate revenge. So I guess like, so a follow up question that might help you answer the first part. Okay. Okay. Every time I watch this movie, I, my opinions change and it might be crazy for me to think this way, but do you think Copperhead deserved to die? That was Vernita, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you think that she just could have been not forgiven, but like, you know, there's certain situations. Yeah, go ahead. Because now, granted, we know that 
uh, Beatrice's daughter is alive. But she didn't. But if she had, I don't think she would have killed her because she's just doing the same. So um, what was I watching? And I was like, no, that's fucking stupid. You're pun- Oh, in Stranger Things. Big spoiler right now for season four. Um, <laughs> is it? Can I continue? Yeah, I'm probably not going to fucking watch it. So go ahead. Okay. So L joins this group of people and they hunt down this guy um, who killed L's parents. And they want to kill him, but they have kids. This is awful. But if you just kill the father, you're doing the same thing, right? So I don't think uh, Vinita should have died. I think she could have done something because you're leaving that kid without a mother. Granted, she doesn't know that her daughter is alive. But well, that kid's going to grow up without a mom now. She's got a dad. She actually she does have a dad, but I feel like this is awful. But she should have killed the whole family. Here's the thing, I so I, I've been I've been working on a novel for the past few years called uh, Danny Boy, which is an Irish mob story. I think I told I told you about, mm-hmm. and I have a character in there, a Russian gangster who explains his philosophy on revenge. His father was murdered by a uh, rival gangster, and the gangster did not kill the Russian and his brother. He instead brought them into his employ and they worked for him for 20 years. At which point Nikolai, the gangster finally had a moment and killed the other gangster. Cause you don't forget shit like that. And also no. to ensure that no one could ever come back on him for the same shit. He had the whole, the guy's entire family executed his wife, all his kids, his grandkids. He destroyed that entire family line. Oh shit. Because he he understood. He waited 20 years for that revenge. And he knows that if he left any one of them alive, it would happen to him. So if you're in the revenge business, you know how to handle shit. Beatrix, I don't think she expected to walk out of this. She went into this whole thing fully expecting to die with Bill. That's why she didn't care who she hurt along the way. But she didn't need to kill the kid because she didn't have any ill feelings towards the kid. She just wanted her, everyone who wronged her dead. She didn't. She wasn't thinking about long-term consequences. Yeah. Well, then, okay, so an, another question is, like, it happens a lot in war movies, right? You're about to kill an enemy soldier, and they're just as scared as you, and they're like, listen, I was just doing my job, right? Granted, this is a very small team, and they're all, like, you know, Stockholm Syndrome loyal to Bill. Shouldn't she have just killed Bill? No, because they all did this to her. They all participated. They all killed her friends, her family, Reverend. They did. They did, but because it's because Bill told them to. Yeah, that doesn't make them all like, you know, innocent in this. I guess. Yeah, especially the fucking bitch with the eye patch. All right, tell me this. At your wedding, which I went to, it was very nice. (laughs) Someone showed up with two or three other people. And everyone just killed all of us, shot you in the head. You woke up four years later. Are you just going to go after the guy who organized that? Or are you going to want all of them dead? That That's fair. I guess maybe if. Again, it goes back to like, like a war movie, like those foot soldiers, they don't want to be there any more than you do. So well, if it was it's different in this case, because they were getting paid for this. They were very much that on is board. Fair. Yeah, 
that yeah. that yeah they they were they enjoyed this l especially was like this is the greatest day ever because i'm killing that blonde bitch that's fair yeah yeah oh is that the name of the air of the eye patch lady is l l yeah l driver that's funny when i was talking about l i meant 11 from <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny but yeah it, it, revenge obviously people who are you know seeking revenge are not thinking straight they're seeing they got blinders on they're seeing red all they want is satisfaction or some twisted form of justice mm-hmm. so they're not thinking about what happens after this they're not thinking about the bodies they're leaving behind living and dead they're not thinking about the lives they're destroying they're just trying to get theirs and beatrix before she found out her daughter was alive was very much like i'm gonna mow down anyone who gets in my way but at that point she was like shit what what now i think she was considering forgiving bill in part two i think she considered it she was until the conversation that they had and then she was like okay you are still evil yeah i don't Um, want you around i had a theory that's not even her kid oh that would be fucked up yeah it's not her kid it's the eye patch lady's kid oh my god yeah um what else did i hear oh man that hurts I heard oh, another one is that the entire movie is just a bedtime story to her. <laughs> and Bill is just her dad. He's, you know, just using maybe they got in a fight that night. Um, apparently, what was wasn't there a, uh, like not a rumor? I guess it was a rumor. Yeah, that there was going to be a kill. There's going to be a third movie called like Kill B. And it was going to be the kid coming to kill Beatrice. So ever since Kill Bill two ended the story fans have been like well what about kill bill three you left it open and tarantino has been kind of mom about that he's often said like yeah i'm thinking about it or i got an outline or no i'm not doing it and considering he said he's retiring after 10 films and this next movie is going to be his 10th i don't think we're ever going to get kill bill three but yeah i think everyone kind of expected like nikki grows up to hunt the bride for killing her mom blind l driver teaches her how to fight and like yeah there were there were there were options there were possibilities that's true there. she never finishes her off nope she just leaves her blind in a trailer with a black mamba but the rules of movies if you don't see a body they're not dead see you know like what, what they could do obviously because i again i was going to talk about this a little bit later but the dialogue the way it's filmed it feels like an anime a live action anime there's even an, an anime segment in the movie would be cool as if they redid it. If they did the third one as an anime, if it was animated. Be sweet. That would be cool. Right. It wouldn't be like a full on movie project with I mean, Tarantino would have some say in it, but he doesn't necessarily like have to be, you know, well, the one he he's, he's teased out so many different projects that never happened. Like there was going to be a Django meets Zorro movie that got pitched. Oh a few. God. What? I know. Don't right. Do Don't do that. <laughs> Don't he was going to do a, a bounty law miniseries with DiCaprio as oh Rick Dalton and K. Hill. Like he was going to do like three episodes of bounty law. See, that would have been cool. Yeah. So, you know, I think he, he has a lot of ideas, but they don't all make it to the screen, which is probably a good thing. You know, less is more means he's going to go out with like 10 bangers and just go down as one of the greatest directors in history. Yeah. I I also feel like, So I agree with revenge to to an extent, but it needs to end at some point. 
someone has to forgive because if no one does, then the girl's going to grow up, kill B. Then her daughter's going to come and kill that person, you know, the kid. It'll just be a never-ending cycle of you killed my family members, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, that's why you had to end that shit fast. I think she probably should have killed Nikki. That probably would have been the smart thing to do. But then she's not our hero if she's murdering a child in the first scene. That's fair. Also, she's going to jail for life. There's no cops in any of this shit ever. <laughs> I kind of love that. I mean, she wipes out a giant chunk of the Yakuza and then just leaves Japan with no consequences. I was going to say 88 of them, but probably more closer to like 95, 96. Yeah. She creates a giant power vacuum in the Tokyo underworld. She stabs a suburban mother to death, drives away in a very noticeable truck. I mean, the whole thing in the, in the hospital where she kills Buck and like 13 hours later takes off. Like no one found that body. No one investigated that parking lot. Like, I don't know. There's no police in, in Kill Bill. Makes me laugh. It's pretty badass that she did. She talked her way out of atrophy in 13 hours. That takes years of physical therapy. Well, not 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 in Tarantino's world. Not in Tarantino's. No. Not if you get to look at those tootsies. You know what I'm saying? Ugh. I don't want to be an asshole. And I really hope this never gets back to Uma Thurman. If so, I'm sorry. But you got some you got some weird looking feet. I'm sorry, but you got to be aware of this. I'm not the first person to tell you this. Feet are weird, man. Yeah, but her toes are like as long as fingers. That's weird. That's not right. Tarantino likes it. They can wrap around his dick. You know what I'm saying? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I don't want to kink shame, but why Why in the feet? Like, like what does? I've never understood that either. I, I don't know. I don't get it. I could honestly, like... Sure, I'd sell pictures of my feet to men. Why not? They don't know who I am. They're just my feet. Who cares? I have I have thought about it. Right. <laughs> I've been in, in financial straits to the point where I'm like, shit, you know, they never see my face. Am I really I can get away with that? I have I've I've thought about that as a business model. And you know what? I've got some neat looking feet. I could probably pull that off. <laughs> no. Oh. Freaks. Freaks everywhere. Freaks. I'll kink shame all day. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Revenge is a dish best served cold, as the Klingons once said. Hmm. You gotta, you know, if you're gonna kill somebody, you better make sure you kill everybody that person loves so they'll never kill you. It's it's not <laughs> not a healthy way to live. No. Let's uh, let's talk about how this movie came about. The origin of a Tarantino film is always kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. So Tarantino started formulating Kill Bill right around the time he was working on Pulp Fiction. In fact, the fake pilot that Mia Wallace starred in, Fox Force 5, is remarkably similar to Kill Bill. <laughs> and a lot of people have said that, you know, there's a popular theory that Kill Bill is a movie that was made in Quentin Tarantino's universe that like Jules and Vincent would go see starring Mia Wallace as the bride, which is awesome. I love that. Um, He and Uma Thurman developed the character of the bride together. They worked on this together. Why it's credited to Q and U. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. He never pictured anybody but her in the role. Originally she was going to pass. She didn't want to star in it, but he was like, 
he, I think he gave her the script for her birthday and was like, please, you, I need were you. Were they a thing or something? They br- they dated briefly. Uh, but then there was an incident, or actually, I think they dated like years after this, but their professional relationship ended after Kill Bill 2 due to an accident she suffered on set that he was pretty much responsible for. Oh, shit. Yeah. there. Uh, there's a scene where she's filming in a car and like a little sports car driving through the jungle. And she told him like, I'm not comfortable driving that car. It's no, the seats in a weird spot. My legs don't quite reach the pedals. Right. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Can we get a stunt driver? And he was like, we're not getting a stunt driver. I I trust you. You'll, you'll you'll pull it off. You'll be fine. Go. And she crashed the car and hurt her neck permanently. And uh, all the trust was gone. Oh, damn. Yeah. But I think they, they reconciled. A few years ago, then they dated briefly, and then they broke up, and then he got married to somebody else, and now he's got a kid. You imagine Quentin Tarantino being your your father? That's weird. <laughs> and then her is she married to Ethan Hawke, or was that is that a thing of the past? Uh, yeah, they were married. He cheated on her. They got oh. divorced, and Maya was the kid they had. No, and Maya has been in a few of Tarantino's movies since she's now like a teenager. She really? Yeah, I think she was one of the hippies in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh shit! Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's funny. She's also mm-hmm. in, in in Stranger Things. Yeah, good for good for good for her. <laughs> Your resentment to Stranger Things because it's popular is beautiful. It's not so much that it's popular; it's that everybody I I fucking know has been like, "You haven't seen Stranger Things? Oh my god! Stop doing what you're doing right now, and you go watch this crazy show." Nope. And I'm just like, "No, it's but, it's." My view on it, it it is crazy that you haven't seen it. Um, it is good, but um, like I can't. I'm not gonna re- ever rewatch it. I tried, and I'm like, this is fucking boring. I don't want to watch this again. It's yeah. I don't see myself. I'll tell you what. If I meet somehow, like if I meet the love of my life, and she adores that show. Then I'll watch it. You don't need to watch it. <laughs> Let me be the. I know I used to tell you you need to watch it, but that's when it was like still like out and on. You don't need to watch it. It's not that good. I mean, it's that's that's not true. It is very good, but you don't need to watch it. You keep backpedaling so fast, you're gonna fall over. I know. It's like <laughs> you don't need to watch it, but it's good. I don't it's know. Like I must. If I can, or if I can put some distance between it, let's say twenty-five years, then maybe when I'm in my fifties and I'm like, you know, blinking to watch like you know my like phone movie tablet shit that's like drilled into my brain, and I'm like trying to watch something, then if Stranger Things pops up on like Netflix Classic, I'll I'll watch it. Classic. Heads up, this is not an immersive VR experience. This is just a screen. Are you sure you like succeed? I bet in the future you'll be able to like just in like have a microchip implanted in your spine that like gives you the experience of having watched it without actually watching it. Man, I don't know how to tell you this. Elon Musk is currently trying to develop a chip to put in your brain to listen to music. Can't you just listen to music? Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. But that's boring. That's dumb. That's boring shit. This Elon is Musk is the last person I would let put anything in my head. Uh, yeah, 
I uh, would have to agree with you there. <laughs> That's why just listen to music. God, people are stupid. Yeah, but then you, know, you have to go find headphones. No, you, you don't. Open your phone. <laughs> you know, if you just have the chip, you can be like, I want to listen to, I don't know, the Beatles and boom. What if your chip malfunctions and you've got achy, breaky heart going on in your head 24-7? That's why suicide boost at this point will be a thing. So, you know. That's a living hell. I wouldn't. <laughs> Imagine, okay. like, you know, because now when your iPhone breaks, you just go to a phone repair. If your chip breaks, you got to go to, like, a brain surgeon. Oh, I bet they'll love that. Do you ever have those dreams where like you're dreaming and your alarm goes off, but you don't wake up and your alarm is in the dream and your dream now turns into where the hell is that noise? Why won't it stop? All the time. That is reality for the people with the music chip. Hold on. Okay. So the, the, this, this is the worst version of that. I don't know why I did this, but I changed my, <laughs> I changed my alarm sound once to the song that Mike Wazowski sings at the end of Monsters, Inc. You know, like like the fake show that they're going to put on. I don't know why he did that. So my brain became, my dream became, I was in the Monsters, Inc. universe, and I was trying to get him to shut up. And I remember I would keep shaking him, and he just kept singing in my face. And I'm like, please stop. I'm trying to sleep. And he just wouldn't stop. That's hysterical. See, why would you want to do that to yourself when you're awake? Also, people are going to hack that shit and like just have like, you know, fucking soccer horn noises going off in your fucking head. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's devices. Imagine you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden you hear like, ah, like screaming in your head and it's like someone <laughs> hacked your chip. Someone just put whispers in your chip. You think you're going crazy. Oh, my God. I would, I would learn how to hack those just so I could do that to people yeah that's that's ridiculous i hope there are people who are going to pay to do that and they get what's coming to them uh so tarantino spent a year and a half writing kill bill frequently around uma thurman and her newborn daughter maya and their relationship influenced the character greatly she wasn't originally going to be a mom like the daughter was going to have died but his like her relationship with her daughter influenced the character and he thought you know if beatrix is a mother she's more relatable she's got something to fight for you know um many of the bride's characteristics were originally part of the character of shoshana dreyfus in inglorious bastards oh which he had written before kill bill but wouldn't be filmed and released until 2009 the original idea for shoshana was for her to be an assassin with a list of nazis she planned to kill Huh. Uh, yeah, Tarantino ended up changing the character drastically and giving the traits to the bride, which I kind of like. I like the idea that Shoshana is a little bit more of, you know, an innocent victim in in the Holocaust who takes matters into her own hands. Yeah. Like, I love that character. She's one of my favorite. Of She's his great. Character. Yeah. Also, uh, what did she what did, what did she say? Au revoir, Shoshana. And he yells oh after her. That's so creepy. Do you think? All right. He knew. Yes. I he knew in the you were you know in the restaurant. He knew. He knew, but I feel like he was like, You got away fair and square. I don't need to kill you. I feel like he was fully planning to kill her, and then the issue with Aldo and the dynamite got in the way. I don't he got sidetracked. You think that's why he was there? No, he was there. I don't know. 
Well, the big the big one for me is when he puts the cigarette in the strudel. It looks like it looks like a little house. I didn't notice that, but he I says, think that was his way of saying like I remember you from the cabin in France. Yeah, man. I think he knew. Like he probably found out. He, I think. He knew who she was her entire life. He's been keeping tabs on her. He knew exactly who she was the whole time. But I think he, I think, I think he's evil, but I think he's, I don't say fair, but I feel like he is the type of person that's like, you got away? Sure. See, I disagree because the whole bit with Bridget von Hammer's mark when he oh, strangled yeah, her. That's fair. Yeah. He doesn't let anyone get away. Like, no yeah, one. Fair. Yeah. I think that he was fully prepared to embarrass her in front of the high command, have her like sent to you know, sent to Berlin to make an example of, and he was going to do that. And then the whole situation with Aldo, the dynamite and Bridget von Hammersmark came up and then he saw like, Oh, I'm taking care of this now. Like this is a much bigger deal. So I think he got sidetracked. Yeah, but he didn't, but he doesn't care about the Nazi party. He wanted to get, he, he was like, I, you know, I'm going to buy my freedom right now. Yeah, that that's what became pressing. He was like, I have a way to end this war right now. I'm going to go do that. Mm, yeah, that's OK. Yeah. That's interesting. We, we have yet to actually we've never done an Inglorious Bastards episode on any what? of we've never done it. We've talked about it many times, but we've never actually done Bastards. We we got to do that. Yeah, we got to figure that out. <laughs> We've talked like if you if you take all the bits and pieces we've talked about bastards in every other episode, we could we'd have like a three and a half hour long episode on the movie. It comes up a lot. Yeah, it's good. It is so good. Uh, the character of Bill, who is largely a looming shadow in this first volume, was written for Warren Beatty. Hmm. Dick Tracy was was Tarantino's <laughs> first choice for Bill. That's weird, man. Yeah, I don't see that at all. No, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, as he further developed the character to have a larger presence and a knowledge of martial arts, Tarantino rewrote the character for David Carradine, who did end up accepting the role. Carradine famously had his long-running TV show Kung Fu, where he played a wandering nomad who knew Kung Fu. Yeah. Supposed to be Bruce Lee, but the studio said, no Asian's going to be a lead on any TV show at our oh studio. So they cast a white guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Beatty ended up turning it down anyway, as he didn't want to be far from his family while they were shooting in China. So he was like, nah, I don't need to go to China. <laughs> and uh, Tarantino also briefly considered Bruce Willis. Oh. <laughs> what the hell? Bruce Bruce was almost Bill. Oh no. God. Like, Carradine brings this weird zen quality to bill that just works you know you believe that the entire world is afraid of this guy yeah no i think <laughs> casting was was <laughs> was a good choice shortly before filming began uh uma thurman became pregnant and tarantino delayed production because he couldn't imagine anybody else in the role he's like this is i'm only doing this with uma i will wait uh, he said the most difficult part of production was focusing on action sequences instead of the snappy dialogue he's most known for. Uh, he had never really done big set piece action sequences like this, and he had to learn how to do that while also balancing his signature quotable dialogue. And I think he pulled it off. Well, he 
there's like you know an 88 person massacre in this movie so <laughs> yeah i wonder if anyone's actually counted oh i'm sure there's a yeah there's body counts all over youtube just see if it actually is 88 let's let's see kill bill volume 1 death count uh Okay, so between several members of the Deadly Vipers and Oren's Elite Crazy 88, the Bride dispatches about 62. Because there's not actually 88 people. Bill says that in the second one. They just called themselves that. So she she killed about 62 people. I didn't didn't remember that. Damn. Yeah. But he's talking to Bud, and Bud's like, did he really, did she really cut through all 88? And Bill's like, they're not really 88. They just called themselves that because it sounded cool. No, it doesn't. Actually, yeah, it does. 80, the crazy 88 is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Kill Bill was intended to be one film, but doing so would have meant Tarantino had to cut a lot of scenes to make it fit within the constraints of a single film. To make, to, to let's say, cut this down to two and a half hours, three at max, imagine what we would have lost from both movies. Yeah, no. Like probably the whole Pi May prequel bit in part two, the yeah. anime sequence of the first one for sure. And ultimately, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the film's savior ugh, was Harvey Weinstein. No! God. <laughs> yep. His name is Harvey Weinstein, and he's here to fuck. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. His name's Harvey, and he's here to party. I couldn't help it. His name's Harvey. So, oh, I feel dirty just saying that. Um so yeah, Harvey Weinstein's the guy who suggested that Tarantino split the film into two parts so we could preserve everything. Hmm. Harvey Weinstein's currently serving time for rape, and uh, I hope he <laughs> dies in prison. Uh, I'm uh, sorry, it's funny. You're like, you're like, yeah, he saved this film. Also, he's serving time for rape currently. Yeah, because <laughs> he's uh, an absolute monster. He's Hollywood's boogeyman for like 40 years. Yeah. And uh, he gets everything that's coming to him. So, 100%. yeah. Ugh. The film was a huge success, grossing $180 million on a budget of $30 million. At the time, that was his most successful box office, which I think was then topped by either Bastards or Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, it has an IMDb score of 8.2, Rotten Tomatoes score of 85%, audience score of 81%. Critics consensus reads, Kill Bill is admittedly little more than a stylish revenge thriller, albeit one that benefits from a wildly inventive surfeit of style. Little more than a stylish revenge th- What did you think it was? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like, the, the Shining is little more than a horror movie that takes place in a hotel. It's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story? It's just a fucking animated movie about toys. Don't expect anything more from that. Okay. God, yeah, you could do that to any any movie ever. Barbie is just a live action movie about Barbie dolls. Not much more than that. I. Yeah, yeah. God. Rotten Tomatoes. They, you know, I don't really follow them or believe in them anymore, but they're always good for a nice little soundbite. You know who is great is Screen Rant. Quick shout out. Quick shout out to screenrant.com. Screen rant, yep. Yeah, they're they they're cool. I like them. I like them very much. <laughs> no, we're not going to explain that. That's private. That's personal. <laughs> <laughs> um 
let's talk some categories. There's definitely a lot to, to, to uh, talk about in this movie. I have multiple uh, for everything. Uh, where do you want to start? Scene, performance, music, or dialogue? Let's start. Let's go. Let's go in the order we always go in. Let's start with uh, shit. What, what do we always start with? <laughs> dialogue. So what we just go with? Start with yeah. We start with dialogue. Okay. Sure. Okay, that was just hysterical. Okay. Um. So I've got three three lines written down that I really really like. Uh, there's a lot of great moments in this movie, but my first one's from Earl McGraw when he's going to the uh, murder scene. And uh, son number one says something like about like, <laughs> oh, see, see dad, it's a, it was a goddamn massacre. And Earl goes, you better shit can that blasphemy, boy. You're in a house of worship. <laughs> I love that. Shit can that blasphemy. <laughs> so Texas. That's such a fucking Texas thing to say. Nah. Earl McGraw. That guy would pop up also in From Dust Till Dawn and uh, Robert Rodriguez's film Planet Terror as the same character. <laughs> that's 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 crazy that he was doing fucking you know that connected universe yeah that's pretty cool there's a few filmmakers who were doing that shit way before marvel thought of it kevin smith was doing it james whale was doing it it yeah it existed before marvel did it they just did it really well at yeah. first <laughs> um my line um i i think i i might be reading too much into this line but it's uh, right before Oren dies. Um, it's in Japanese, but she says, so before this line, she basically says like, oh, you're just a white girl playing with samurai swords. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? And before she dies, she says, for ridiculing you earlier, I apologize. And to which the bride says, accepted. I read, I think a little bit too much into that. I think Oren was like saying, sorry, I killed you. And she's like, it's all good. I'm still going to fucking kill you though. Nah, you were you were definitely reading into that too much. She she didn't apologize really? for that. No, she didn't. She's the most. She, most knew, she knew. She knew she was gonna die. Tokyo. She didn't give a shit about Beatrix. I think she knew she was gonna die. I think she's like, hey, I'm I'm sorry. No, I think that was very much a, like a a gesture of respect for the previous insult, but not about really? the entire assassination of her family. I don't think so. No, I think that's when she realizes that she's gonna die. For I sure. think all of them, all of them wanted to save themselves. None of them were sorry. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's that. That's what I mean. Like, she didn't mean the apology, but I, I think that's like what she meant. You know, that's what she was trying to say. Okay. I have a yeah. I have a line from that scene too when the bride does kill Oren, slices her scalp off, and Oren says in Japanese. That really was a Tori Hanzo story. <laughs> That's a great last thing to say. Like, yep. Shit. <laughs> the implications of that, not just, oh, I'm going to die, but that guy broke a blood oath to give this woman a sword. She's going to get through everybody. Yeah. Like, that's Oren realizing, like, yep, we're going to lose. <laughs> well, that's insane. So if if I'm correct, Hotori Hanzo made all of them their swords, right? No, no, no. He made the bride a sword. He doesn't. He's not the only guy making samurai swords. He's the guy making the best samurai swords. The bride has one. Bill has one, and Bud has one. He got from Bill. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought it. Okay. Yeah. 
That's uh okay. <laughs> and his method of sword making is like known to nobody. That's why whatever he's doing, he's making the most dangerous, respected swords in the business. And he hasn't made one for 28 years. And now all of a sudden there's a new one, which means everyone's rumbling about like what the hell does this mean? So yeah, really cool. Yeah. Um Another one, it's not like, I just thought it was funny. It's when the sushi bar guy is like, I'm not bald, okay, I shaved my head. It's like, okay, so you're still bald. <laughs> I love the bit where he's like, you know, if this were the army, I'd be general by now. And Hanzo's like, oh yeah, well, I'd be emperor, and you'd still pour the damn side to get the side. <laughs> uh, yeah, their whole interaction's hilarious. Um. I love when uh, the bride puts down every member of the crazy 88 and then comes face to face with that like 15 year old kid. And yep. she's just like, are you fucking kidding? Like, she gives him this look of like, what the hell are you doing here? And like spanks him with the sword and says, this is what you get for fucking around with Yakuza's. Yeah, I love that was that. good. Hattori <laughs> um, Hanzo has a line I like. It's, um, it's uh, how I feel about revenge. It's about revenge. He says, revenge is never a straight line. It's a forest. And like a forest, it's easy to lose your way, to get lost, to forget where you came in. Yeah, that's good. It's good. I mean, he still gave her the sword, but that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I would love to know Bill and Hanzo's relationship. Like what Bill did to Hanzo that made him immediately revoke the blood oath and start making her a sword. Yeah, I know. And uh, I mean, he was a student somehow in some form. Yeah. Well, Bill learned from the best. You know, he trained with Pai Mei, he trained with Hattori Hanzo. Like this guy wanted to be the most dangerous man on the planet. Yeah. And he pulled it off at some point. Bill's the man. I love that. How'd you find me? I'm the man. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, I know it's crass and it's sick, but I do love the line, my name is Buck and I'm here to fuck. Yep. <laughs> it's such a sick fucking thing to say, especially in the context of this movie. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, apparently like that was, that came out of a, I read in uh, Tarantino's book, Cinema Speculation, that that came out of a guy he knew who named Buck who would just say that. That's so, oh my God. Imagine being that guy. Famous Buck and I, you ever see this edited for TV on like TBS or something? No, it's hysterical because they edit the movie to be like TV PG thirteen, and it's he says my name is Buck and I'm here to party, which kind of takes the sting out of it a little bit. Oh my god, man! His truck says is. party. His truck says party wagon. No, it does not. Yes, it does. <laughs> does it still show the whole like fight scene at the end? I don't know. I never saw that part. I just saw the buck part. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to watch this here. <laughs> oh, man. So I love edited for TV R-rated movies. It's some of the greatest source of accidental comedy. <laughs> My God. My favorite one to date is The Big Lebowski on TV when Walter famously says when he's confronting uh, Larry over the car, and he's like, "This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass." The TV version is, "This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps." <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, they have to. I'm sure they have to pick dialogue that somewhat matches what they're saying. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. It's not like they're overdubbing. Like, they'll film two sets of scenes for... Oh, really? I thought they overdub. Sometimes they do overdub, but sometimes they will film entirely separate scenes. And in that case, you could do better than find a stranger in the Alps. You're the Coen brothers. You can do better than that. (laughs) My God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Die Hard 2 has a good one, too. Uh you know, John McClane's famous yippee motherfucker catchphrase. Uh, mm-hmm. In part two on TV, it's yippee Mr. Falcon. <laughs> this is all real. You can all look this up on YouTube. This is all real. I, I unfortunately have never seen Die Hard. I don't know how I've never seen it, but I've never seen it. Uh, well, this this Christmas is a good opportunity to, to watch Die Hard. I will watch it. I used to think that it wasn't a Christmas movie. But my my friend explained to me, he's like, okay, would the plot still be happening if it wasn't Christmas? I was like, no. And he was like, then it's a Christmas movie. My rule of thumb is if it takes place at Christmas, it's a fucking Christmas movie. <laughs> if there's a Christmas tree in the background, then it's a Christmas movie. Batman Returns, Christmas movie. Iron Man 3, Christmas movie. That's fair. I do also, because I think like the whole entire Harry Potter series is like a holiday season movie. Because it's Christmas and a lot of them. I will give you Sorcerer's Stone and Order of the Phoenix. Because there are Christmas scenes in those movies. And <laughs> Deathly Hallows Part 1. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think... And why is anybody debating this? Watch whatever you fucking want at Christmas. Yeah, I don't watch. care. <laughs> if I want to watch fucking, you know, Predator six times, then Merry Christmas to me. Ooh, Merry Christmas. In Predator. fact, actually, I, I have a Christmas Eve tradition with my cousin. For like the past three or four years, we have watched Muppet Treasure Island on Christmas Eve. Oh my god! Not Muppet Christmas Carol, which would make sense, but Muppet Treasure Island. How did it start? Did you like mean to watch Christmas Carol and you just accidentally clicked on Treasure Island and were like, "Fuck it"? No, one year I was just like, "You know what? I want to watch Muppet Treasure Island," and I watched it. My cousin happened to be there, and he was like, "This is cute." And then we watched it every year <laughs> after, um, except for last year. I think last year we watched Step Brothers, but uh, yeah, we. I typically don't watch Christmas movies on Christmas Eve. I don't know why. It's turned into kind of a tradition to not That's do that. That's interesting. Yeah. Because of Strat Brothers, I oh, I only refer to John C. Riley as curly-headed fuck, which I think he actually says that to Will Ferrell, but still. No, Will, Ferrell, Will Ferrell says it to him, so you're, you're okay. correct. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, funny shit. Um, okay, let's move on. Uh, let's do performance. So, obviously, everyone in this movie is fantastic. There's no weak link here. But if you had to give the award of best performance to somebody in this movie, who who gets it? I mean, that's going to be Uma Thurman. Come on. <laughs> I mean, she's, it, you know, she, Quentin Tarantino wanted her for this role for a reason. And she plays the role perfectly. I agree. She really... It's like when she wakes up in the hospital and she's like screaming and crying, that's hard to watch. She really, she's believable as someone who has literally had her entire life ripped from her. So perfect. I I agree. And I, I buy her, you know, her desire, her need and her like, you know, furious fight for revenge. Like when she, you know, 
when she's eyeing Sophie in the bathroom and she's just glaring at her with this absolute just like hatred. It's like, yep, fucking yep. buy that, man. Um, yep. I will say, I think Uma little better in volume two. Yeah. Definitely. But that's I do think she's great in this. However, I give the performance award to Lucy Lou. Lucy Lou was great. Yeah. I yeah. I didn't think so when I first saw this, I only knew Lucy Lou from Charlie's Angels. Mm. So I did not see I didn't know she had that in her, that kind of fury. And the scene where she's like, she cuts off Tanaka's head and is like, yeah. I'm only gonna say this once. That's where I'm like, holy shit. Yep, she's the she's the boss of of Japan. I get I get it. Yep. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, yeah, she good. does so much acting in this movie with just her eyes. That is yeah. so good. She really does, honestly. Um, it's funny that every time we do this, we always pick the opposite characters. Oh, that's funny. Whenever I did this with Austin, we're usually on the same page, and with you, we're usually <laughs> on opposite, which is interesting. What's the, what's the uh, last movie we, we did? Sunset Boulevard. Oh yeah, we were, we we gave the the opposite people. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but like Vivica A. Fox is fantastic as Vernita. Yep. Uh, we don't get a lot of Bill in this, but the bit we do get oh, is so geez. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. If we ever do part two, and I'm part of it, uh, he'll probably take it. For part two. Well, we probably will honestly like in january or something well, we're gonna do kill bill part two for sure um but yeah i i love just the little like the opening where he's you know talking about why he's doing this and like the the, the handkerchief with just bill on it i love that detail every time there's like a small detail like that in a tarantino movie i just hear it respectfully he has a stupid voice so anytime i see a thing like that i always picture him in his stupid voice and his stupid face being like no, no, you, you got to get your name on the handkerchief in the shot. And that has to be just like that. Instead of saying Bill's name, can you write it in the window for me, please? <laughs> you know, you're not you're not wrong. He does have a very irritating. It's weird that like so much genius comes out of this like. Kind of weird looking dork. dork, pretty much. He's yeah. A dork. yeah. <laughs> Old fiction, you know, <laughs> the your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> but. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Silly rabbit tricks are for kids. Why? What are you doing? Oh, yeah. The dialogue. It this it kind of seems like a Western slash anime. The way they talk in this movie, they don't talk like that in other Tarantino movies. Like the like the words that they use, the slang. It's weird. This is a like hyper realistic horror or a hyper-realistic Tarantino movie. Like, it does feel like in the violent world of Tarantino, this is a movie that would be made in that world. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And only he could make the line, silly rabbit tricks are for kids, kind of badass. Yeah. That's weird. The whole, like, when when uh, her and, uh, fuck, Vanita? Yeah, Vanita. Vernita. Vernita, yeah. When she's like, something, something, I beseech you with my daughter. I'm like, no one talks like that. Oh, the <laughs> Beatrix is just like, bitch, stop right there. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yep. <laughs> I love the little detail that like the cereal with the gun hidden in it is called Kaboom. Yep. That was cool. Love that. I love Tarantino's uh, ads for his fake products because he hates product placement. So he makes up his own products like big red apple cigarettes ad yep. in, in the airport. 
stuff like that. Like there's a scene in the uh, in the House of Blue Leaves right before the crazy 88 fight where the bride is walking on the floor and the camera's pointed up at her shoes, at the sole of her shoes. And if you look carefully on her shoe is a message. It says, fuck you on the bottom of her shoe. Instead of Puma or whatever, Adidas, yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's funny. It's that, fuck. fuck you. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, what's her name? Julie Dreyfus as Sophie. Very good. Yep. Just a ridiculous character who's way like in way over her head, and I love that she just ends up like thrown off a hill into the hospital. Do we ever One see off? every everything that she got cut off? No, she just, I think she started talking before the bride okay. cut off anything else. Yeah, she just lost her arm, but we never see her again. I think Bill killed her. Probably, yes. Um, Yeah, like that part, man. No one talks like that when he's like, I want him to know that I know, and I want him to know what I know and that I know. Yeah, like, but to be fair, the way people talk in a Tarantino movie is not exactly realistic conversation. It's just fucking cool. Yeah, that that's fair. Yeah, uh, I want to give props to Chiaki Kuriyama as Gogo, one of the most psychotic schoolgirls in movie history. Yeah, uh, I think she appeared in Battle Royale, and Tarantino was like, "I want her in my movie," and put her. Oh shit, she is in Battle Royale. She's been typecast as a psychotic schoolgirl. Well, perfect. Uh, Who not gonna lie, this movie in Battle Royale, I'm a little, I'm a little creeped out by Japanese schoolgirls. Yeah, I just assume they're crazy. An audition certainly didn't fucking help. <laughs> anyway, she's fantastic uh, in her brief bit as Gogo, uh, Gordon Liu, fuck yeah, as Johnny Mo, and later as Pai Mei in Part Two. Is that uh, the same guy? Yep, Gordon Holy. Liu. Old school martial arts guy. He was in uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Like he, yeah, he's old school. He was a git. And speaking of old school, motherfucking Sonny Chiba. Yeah, Sonny Chiba. I was was about to say, that's crazy. I recently watched uh, the Street Fighter, his his big uh, franchise in in Japan in the 70s. Uh, They weren't great, but the first one, he's he he kicks ass in the first one. Oh yeah. As just this brutal, ruthless son of a bitch who will kill anybody for the right price. So the the games are based on the movie, right? This has no connection to the Street Fighter games at all. It's just called the Street Fighter. Oh, well, that's lame. Well, it was in the 70s. There was no Street Fighter game yet, so blame the game. I'll blame the game. (laughs) I haven't seen the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Raul Julia, because I don't (laughs) really know anything about Street Fighter. I never pursued that or played it. Yeah. It's the same font and everything. <laughs> it's it's not though. It's the same font. No. Yeah. Are you looking at the right movie? Yeah, it's kind of the same font. Street Fighter. 1994 is the same font because that's based on the movie. 1974 is in Japanese. I don't I don't see the font. I think I, I am looking it. at yeah. It it didn't it doesn't have a gear on it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you're looking at. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking at the fucking. Okay, never much. <laughs> yeah, Sonny Chiba kicks ass, and it's cool that they got him to do this. Yeah, 
if I'm going to believe anybody as this like iconic legendary sword maker, it's going to be Sunny Chiba. Hmm. Uh, does that cover the major? Pl- oh yeah, there's um. Oh, what's his name? Michael Bowen as Buck. Oh God, Buck. that guy plays slimy sons of bitches all the time. He's so good at it. He plays uh Uncle Jack in the final season of Breaking Bad. Uh, really twisted fucking neo-Nazi asshole. God, you'll meet him eventually. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's yeah, he, he just plays a lot of sick fucks. And Buck might be his number one twisted fuck. I mean, a guy who is selling coma patients to rapists. God, dude, it's so fucking awful. No, that shit happens, man. It like I'm sure. I I was reading about this one woman. Like she'd been in a coma for like a few years and she was about to give birth because someone had raped her in her sleep while she was in a coma and got her pregnant oh and she was God. about to give birth and they started like test DNA testing the orderlies. And I think they got one. Jesus Christ. Yeah. People are monsters. And suddenly, you know, movies like Armageddon and the core suddenly make sense. Yep. Let's just yeah. wipe this shit anew and start <laughs> fresh. We don't deserve to be here. That's yeah, that's fucking awful, man. Yes, indeed. Hey, but uh, he gets his fucking Achilles sliced, which makes me cringe every time. Oh yeah, and then gets his neck broken by a door, which is yep. beautiful. Yep. A little twitch in his foot. You were you earned that. You yep. fucking pussy wagging <laughs> son of a bitch. Also, who has a yellow truck with red seats? What a obnoxious piece of shit. With the pussy wagon written on the back. Yeah. God, they didn't vet this guy like before they hired him at the hospital. Like, I know, yeah. You're telling me this dude doesn't have a record? <laughs> it's just sexual assault for like eight pages. <laughs> yeah, he seems fine. Hire him for the coma patient area. Yeah, like what the? F- How the hell did he get a job here? Who's like whose brother is he? And he's a Christian. He has a he has a cross necklace. I don't know. I don't probably. I mean, you know, not, you know, not to fuck. I'll say it. Rape and the church tend to go hand in hand. Really? Yeah. Uh, let's do music. Tarantino and music. Another thing that goes hand in hand. Tarantino yeah. knows how to pick a fucking soundtrack every single time. He really does. Yeah. Um. Obviously. Um. Man, there, there there's a lot we can talk about. Um, battle without honor or humility when they're walking into the uh, what's called the blue flower, the, the house of blue leaves, the house of blue leaves. Yeah, that part's fucking great. Um, if I keep talking, I'm going to mention more. But whenever I hear that song or think about the movie, I think of either the song or the movie, respectively. It's a great, you know, calm before the storm, setting all the pieces where they need to be mm-hmm. song to just be like, you know, this is. The- the bride versus the the yakuza about to go down. Yep. Uh, I love the opening song on the opening credits. Bang bang, my baby shot me down. The Nancy Sinatra version sets us up for a very sad parable about a broken heart. Mm. Yeah, that's great. The iconic whistle of twisted nerve. Oh my god, Daryl Hannah actually fucking did that. Really? That is uh, oh. The beginning of it until it kicks until she like the camera cuts away from her and it kicks into the song. But the op- the beginning with her just like walking towards the camera, Daryl Hannah insisted she could do it and she did. 
Holy shit, man. Right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's creepy as hell. Just, you know, on her way to assassinate Beatrix. How fucking close she got. Yeah. Always gets me, man. Like her finger was on the on the plunger. Yeah. Ah, Bill. Um, I love the bit called the Lonely Shepherd, where she um it's when she and um has the when Hanzo agrees to make the sword. It's like that whistle oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. leads into the music when she he's talking about like, you know, I've I've swore I've done what I swore an oath to never do again, and I could say without ego, this is my finest sword. If you yes. meet God on your journeys, God himself would be cut. Like shit. So good. Hell of a salesman, Hanzo. <laughs> I want one. Um I like Run Fay Run. That's a song that plays during uh Oren's anime sequence, her origin story. Yeah. So good. So fucking good. That whole sequence. I'm we're gonna talk about that when we get to the scenes, but yeah, that yeah. is fucking gorgeous. Um I love the Green Hornet theme that plays when she gets to Okinawa. <laughs> I don't know why it's it, I, it, it works. Kind of whimsical. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen the Green Hornet, so I didn't know that's what that was, but that's funny. Yeah, that's the Green Hornet, the the, the Kato mask, like the mask that all the, the crazy 88s are wearing. Oh, yeah, they're all, yeah. That's Kato's mask from Green Hornet. Um, and Tarantino, he really likes just black suits like that's his like favorite yeah. aesthetic he does mm-hmm. it's nice it's a good it's a good look um i guess woohoo is this name of the song by the five six seven eights yeah. just the whole any every song that they play at the house of blue leaves is great i love a japanese rockabilly band like that's just yeah. only tarantino would find that and use it there was this like right around the time this came out, there was like a, a cheap, like cell phone plan commercial that used that song, and I saw it all. Oh the time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Vonage, Vonage. That's what it was called, and that song was in every commercial, and it drove me insane. <laughs> it actually ruined the song for me. Like I have most of this soundtrack on my iPod. I don't have that song. Hmm. I listen to a lot of this. His soundtracks just like on the just like going about my day. Which all right, here's a cool question. Uh which movie do you think has the best soundtrack? Pulp fiction. Yeah. Well, score. Hmm. Well, he doesn't have a lot of like Hateful Hateful Eight's the only original score he actually has. Django is made up of other film scores, so is Bastards. Django is up there, but um, yeah, yeah, Django's up there, but yeah, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's soundtrack. You know, just nineteen sixty nine, L.A. That's good. Yeah, um, I, I love have, the Reservoir Dogs, like K. Billy's Super Sounds of the Seventies Weekend. I love that. Yeah, but like Pulp Fiction. Let me pull up the. Yeah, I'm dude, dude. Jungle Boogie, Miserloo. I don't know how to actually say it. Miserloo, yeah, that's on there. Fucking uh, busting surfboards. Um, yep, yeah, that's on there. Um, when 
the whole diner scene when that Chuck Berry song is playing. There's so many, there's so many good songs in both. I love just Butch driving away from his apartment, listening to flowers on the wall and running yep. into Marcellus. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. He, he's like, he has an ear for music in a way that no other filmmaker really has. Yeah. Uh, there's a song that plays in Kill Bill during the fight with Oren. That's like really like, you know, like upbeat, but their movements are very like graceful and like calm. And I was, I don't know what the song is, but that, it's cool. I don't know what that's called either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I love the song that plays when Oren gets killed, uh, Flower of Carnage. Yes. Uh, it's the theme song from a 70s uh, martial arts movie called Lady Snowblood, which heavily influenced this movie. So hmm. it's Tarantino doing a little tip of the cap to one of his influences, which is pretty sweet. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Great shit. Um, and Kill Bill 2 has a great soundtrack as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Scene. What, what are some of your favorite scenes from Kill Bill? Um, so there's a part during the crazy eight fight when the black and white filter comes off and it's just their silhouettes fighting. I love that scene so much. When I think of the movie Kill Bill, I think about that scene, which is weird that that's the scene I think about, but it is. Yeah. I love that the black and white thing only happened because Tarantino was not able to secure an R rating with that much carnage. So he had to turn it black and white in order to get an R. Yeah. And the fact it happens when she plucks out his eye is, is a good placement. Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> is that even like, is that fucking possible? Can you, can you do that? Yes, you can rip someone's eye out, one hundred percent. Yes, well, I, I know you can, but like that, like fucking, like you're, you know, pinching in like two seconds. Can you, can you do that? I don't, I don't know. I've never tried. I know. I'm, I don't want to test that one, but I'd love to find out. This is disgusting. Uh, pertaining to eyes, your eyeballs can uh, melt and evaporate because they are just jelly. Ugh. Yeah. I watched something recently that said that. Is it the haunting of Hill House? Might have been. I think so. And that sounds familiar. Also, I saw there's this post that keeps going around on Facebook. It's just like, a, I don't know. But it says like, uh, during cremation, there is a point in which the meat is cooked perfectly. Jesus. <laughs> That's fucking horrific. <laughs> just yeah. in time for Thanksgiving. If I, I want to be cremated and I want in my will, I want it stipulated. I want to be filled with popcorn kernels. Oh my god, that would that would be cool and disgusting at the same time. Some some popcorner. Oh my god, <laughs> I've never you know thought about being a cannibal. But if I was like if I had to eat human meat, I would want Hannibal Lecter from the show Hannibal to cook it for me. Well, yeah, I mean if you you know you you're going to try an exotic meat. You got to get the guy who knows how to prepare it the best. I, I get that. Have you seen the show? I saw most of the show. I haven't, I got halfway through the final season and I didn't finish it. Is he cooking people that that's people that he's making, right? Yeah. Of okay. course it is. So he's serving humans to other people. Uh huh. Yeah. It's part of his. Why does soul. it look so good? Cause it's cooked meat by a professional. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know like whose <laughs> loin that is. You just know it's a tasty, you know, prepared loin. My boy's over here making pate, and I'm like, damn, I'm getting hungry. 
Well, I'm like the scenes what he's cooking. Well, Hannibal Lecter in the world is a very renowned psychiatrist, chef, like respected figure. You're not going to think this guy's cooking me a dude. You're, you're not thinking <laughs> that at all. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> is, is Hannibal like, a, is it a good prequel to what? Because I, I, I have not seen Silence of the Lambs. Holy shit. Yeah. Work on that. Um, it's it's not a prequel. It's a reimagining of of the first novel, Red Dragon. Hmm. So it's it ha- it takes elements from some of the other books, but largely it's like Hannibal Lecter helping Will Graham solve other crimes, and also was- being the big murderer overall at the time, like, like that they're all looking for. So he, okay, never 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 mind. <laughs> I thought it was a decent show. It just like it, it was. It got too like meta. It got too ethereal. Mm. But uh, I'll finish it eventually. I only had like five episodes. I should just do that. Uh, okay, scenes. Um, I love the old origin of Oren scene. The, yes. the animated the animated sequence where we learn that her family was killed by the yakuza and that destroyed her and turned her into a psychopath. Yeah. Every yes. time I watch that scene. Like when she's under the bed, she sees her dad die right in front of her. And then her mom seemingly is about to get raped, but she doesn't. He probably fucked her dead body. But she when when he gets when she stabs through the bed, I'm like, damn, that's dark. And then it starts raining blood on her. I'm like, okay, that's enough, Quentin. Stop it. You can stop now. I can't think of that like that Simpsons episode where the kid's like, stop, stop. He's already dead. Uh, yeah, and then the guy's like a pedophile, and she like, you know, fuck kills him. Yeah, yeah. That'll turn you into an assassin. That'll really make you jaded on reality. Yeah, yeah. He really wanted to get the word across. He's like, hey, this kid has been traumatized. Just so you guys know. Yeah, but she wasn't content to just, you know, take him down. She wanted to take it all down. She wanted to control the entire Japanese criminal underground, and she did. I wonder how good of a leader she is. You know, that'll be a cool, that would be a cool spinoff. An Oren spinoff. Well, how, like, how long into her reign did all this go down? Like, did she even get the chance to prove how effective a leader she was? Like, did this just happen? Because they do seem to be celebrating her, like, ascension. Yeah, but that was like a year, I think. Like a year has passed. Okay, so it's been a minute. Um, I think she's pretty effective. I mean, when people say shit to her that she doesn't like, she cuts their fucking heads off and then just moves, you know, carries on. That's that's effectiveness. (laughs) I wonder if she like, if she would implement implement a law, like don't kill someone in front of their kid. Hmm, I wonder. Maybe it's a rule. Do not create orphans. That's an interesting idea. I wonder. Yeah, that'd be good. Maybe, you know, don't fuck kids. That'd be a good one. <laughs> uh, that should be the law everywhere. That's just me. If you have an argument against that, I'd love to hear it, but I guarantee you, you don't. <laughs> Somebody try to fight that. It's like, well, we don't need that. It's like, why? Why don't we need that? Because <laughs> this is America. You're free to make your own decision. Yeah, but why that decision? <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see that debate. Like, just it's a great way to identify the pedophiles. Anyone who's got a problem with that, it's like, oh, arrest that guy. So when uh, I was in honors English, we had to 
right. We had an argumentative essay coming up. And she was like, I want all of you to pick a topic you are extremely passionate about. And she's like, you can choose from this list. And at the time, I mean, I still am. But at the time, I was like really into like, you know, like global warming and like saving the planet. And that was on the list. And I was like, fuck, I'll do that. So she had us write it down on a scrap of paper and give it to her. So she knew what our uh, what they were supposed to be about. So you couldn't change it. The next day when we came in, when we were supposed to start researching and writing the paper, she said, so you all have chosen topics you are very adamant about. You are going to write your argumentative paper opposing that. <laughs> so I had to write a seven-page paper about why global warming is a hoax and why we don't need to care about it. And that's the hardest paper I had to write. But imagine someone was like, don't... I'm really adamant about not fucking kids. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, like child abuse or child endangerment, something like that. And they're like, "Well, this is why I think we should hit kids." Like Jesus Christ, that's horrible. That's a great teacher move, though. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> reminds me. Of, reminds me of my favorite Ron White joke, where he said, "I got kicked off the debate team for going." Yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> I didn't get it. I thought I'd won. <laughs> that's funny. That's yeah, good. that's great. I never. I I thought. I, I wish I'd joined the debate team in high school. I think I would have been good at that. Uh, yeah. You just said fuck you. Yeah, just mic drop right there. Uh, Dude, splat. Are you dumb? Okay, Connor. You have to. You know what? Actually, I probably wouldn't be very good at it because I am not good at hiding my distaste and passion for when somebody does something stupid. That would come out. It would come out fast. Yeah. Another <laughs> um, scene I love, I love Hattori Hanzo's introduction, the whole bit at the sushi table where she's kind of, you know, kind of feeling him out. And then she reveals, I'm here for Hattori Hanzo. And he just he breaks the glass and immediately switches to Japanese. Like, what do you need from Hattori Hanzo? I love that. It's cool that, like, he's like, well, if you know my name, you definitely fucking speak Japanese. So... Yeah, he's like, yeah, no, of course. That that whole bit was great. And then just like him showing off the swords and leading up to the bill in the window with the little like Japanese dot on the eye. I love that. Good. Um, another scene I like um, is I kind of like the weird teasers that we get at the end. You know, when it shows Bud and he's like, she deserves her revenge. And then when Bill is like, does she know that her child is still alive? I was like, like imagine watching that for the first time, being like, Ooh. well, I saw part two first, so I, I knew her kid was alive. Oh. <laughs> Every time I see Bud, I can't, I just think of his like super shitty strip club boss who's just like, he's, I don't know why the, I love the line. Like, I don't know what car wash you worked at that let you stroll in and like 20 minutes late, but it wasn't owned by me. And I own a fucking car wash. So weirdly out of the five, Bud mm-hmm. is my favorite one because I truly feel like he's, he's the only one there just for the money. He's not, he's not like, I mean, he's kind of loyal, but he's not like loyal to a fault. He's not like an honorable man. He's just there for the money. Bud buries her alive for the money 
There is no justification <laughs> for that shit. Put a bullet in their head and say you did it. Like but that is, that's but some that's so sadistic that's shit so to lazy. do to a human being. It's so lazy. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bacon. Anyway, yeah, I think that's my favorite scene in in part two. Is I want to do part two right now. Like I, I, I feel like it's incomplete. <laughs> I feel like we're only doing half the movie. Here. Yeah, we kind of are. I, I like, like I said, a lot of people, including us, view it as one movie. Yeah, I've never watched just Kill Bill Part One. If I'm gonna watch that, I'm gonna watch Part Two immediately afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, the fight with the crazy eighty eight is fantastic. Um, mm. I, it's um, I don't remember who. It's a fencing team who plays the uh, the crazy eighty eight. Like they were all trained swordsmen and stunt huh. people. That's cool. That's pretty sweet. And that fight is. If they hadn't, you know, again, if they had just, you know, fought together and didn't run at her one at a time, they would have they would have overwhelmed her fast. <laughs> but yeah, that's the movies for you. <laughs> I like that part. I like her sneaking around the house of blue flowers. Not sneaking around, but. She's very open about it, you know, that she's there. She just, you know. No one's looking for her. Everyone thinks she's dead. Mm -hmm. I always love, I don't know why I love this, but like when Johnny Moe runs into the room and just goes like, (laughs) fucking love that. (laughs) Your mic just peaked. (laughs) Fucking awesome. I'm sure that did not come across the way I said, but whatever. Your mic peaked. I couldn't hear your yell. Fuck it. I wonder how that's going to sound in the record. Whatever. It sounded awesome in my head and when I said it, so I don't fucking care. That's funny. That's funny. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about. Um, I love the fight with Gogo. That's, like, her talent with the fucking razor ball was really impressive. Kind of an inconvenient weapon, but, you know, neat. I was watching with Kaylin, and when she pulls out the metal ball, she's like, that's an interesting choice of weapon. Yeah. Yeah, She knows how to use it, too. If I was going to pick, you know, who's going to win the fight between Samurai Sword and Razor Ball, I would probably bet on Samurai Sword. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Gogo almost takes her out. You know, she almost gets her. Uh, Yeah, I like kind of the introduction to Gogo when she's with at the bar. She's like, do you want to screw me? And the guy is like, hee hee hee. She's like, don't fucking laugh. Do you want to screw me or not? And he's like, yes. And then she fucking stabs him. Oh, my God. I'm surprised Tarantino was able to get away with her, the guy's guts spilling out onto her legs. Like, that That was a lot. That was a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gogo's just... Like, how the hell did Oren and Gogo, like, encounter each other? Like, there's a story there. She probably just heard about her. And I was like, oh, okay, this shit. There's a psycho... Schoolgirl just killing pervs at some bar. <laughs> no Ren heard about it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's a long fight scene, too. Yeah. Well, there's a you know, seemingly 88 of these fuckers, and she's they all I want like if you're part of that fight, like part of that club, the fight club, if you will. <laughs> uh and you're you know, you've got a sword, you're part you're a Yakuza, but you know, you're you're you think you're a badass. You're called in to defend Oren's honor. And you see this blonde chick massacring everybody who comes near her. At what point are you going to be like, this shit's not my fight and just take off? Yeah, 
I think that kid does, but I mean, he's going to get killed by the rest of the Yakuza, first of all. And second of all, the thing that sets Yakuza apart from the rest of the gangs in the world is that they do work with honor. And is that true? That is true. Like, I didn't think about that. There is a certain element of honor here, but still. They're like like the modern samurai. They're not fighting. Do you think they all have samurai swords, like in the movie? They do. Terrifying. Um, yeah, crazy, very crazy, crazy eighty-eight. <laughs> um, yeah, I there isn't really a weak scene here. It's just a no. very well constructed film that's great from beginning to end. Five out of five stars. The the very beginning with Bill and the bride. The, my one complaint about the movie: don't you don't need to like blur her name out until the end. It's not like you know. Well, just call her B. Like, there's, yeah, there was, there could have, they could have done that differently, but I get the whole point is like she's supposed to be, you know, a woman with no name, kind of a Clint Eastwood thing. So I, yeah, I get that. I get that, I guess. If you look very carefully on her plane ticket, her name, like, you can see her name. Really? Yeah, she paid with that shit credit card. <laughs> that is funny. I was like, okay, she just got out of a hospital. You've been presumed dead for 13 years. Where are you getting your clothes? How are you paying for things? What's going on? Thirteen. I don't know. 13, 13 years might be high. I think it was like seven years, right? No, I think it was. Wasn't it? Here, I got it. Go or was Bill. it four? I don't know. It was a number. It was definitely a number. We can agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, might have been four years. I think. Yeah. Uh, four years. It was four years. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. Like what's going on? Like, you, how do you pay for that stuff? Yeah, I, I guess you know, she, she might have had some like you know some go bag ready to go in El Paso that we don't see her get. I'm sure in her line of work, yeah. But like, or she just like, stole, or she just stole Buck's credit card. <laughs> yeah, I bet it says I bet it says like you know, the pussy card or some shit like that. God, my God. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic. This is such a, an amazing movie and a, and a fun watch. Yeah, it really is. With that, let's take a look at what Letterboxd has to say on our final segment. What's in the box. What's in the fucking box? Kill Bill volume one, 4.2 out of five. Beautiful. As it should as it should. And believe it or not, there are some sour assholes who just do not enjoy this. I can't wait to hear bad reviews for Kill Bill. Actually, I want to I want to find bad reviews for any of Quentin Tarantino's movies. There's a lot of people who hate him simply because he's weird, he likes feet, and they just think he's uber violent. Which is okay. all true, but the movies are still really good. <laughs> people who say they like the movie is like too violent. Have you seen, I don't know, fucking Deadpool? I just don't, if you don't like it, it's not for you. That's great. But like, stop trying to take it away from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually have three really good reviews and two horrible reviews. This first one's from Lucy. Every single time I watch this, I want to buy a pussy wagon keychain so badly, but I just can't. I can't do it. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I have a, I have a bad motherfucker keychain from Pulp Fiction, Jules' wallet. That's wonderful. 
I got it in a souvenir shop in Heidelberg, Germany. I have I have Kill Bill's sword. You behind I just you. called her Kill Bill. What the fuck am I doing? I have yeah, I didn't want to point that out because I didn't want you to feel bad. What am I doing? I have her sword. It's it's shitty and like not well made, but it's still a katana that is her sword. I have a t shirt that was handed out at the premiere of the film that my uncle got a hold of. It's like a one of a kind. That's beautiful. It doesn't fit. <laughs> Part of my weight loss journey is to fit into that goddamn shirt. <laughs> Bright yellow. It's not like a very nice shirt, but <laughs> it's 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 a Kill Bill premiere shirt. Like, I'm not going to not wear that. Uh, this one's from Aaron. If Lucy Liu collects my fucking head, then please do not prosecute her. She caught me slipping, and that's on me. Five stars. <laughs> That's funny. That's one scene we didn't really talk about that much was uh, Oren kind of cementing her place as the boss. It's a good fucking scene. It's fantastic. I just, I know I can't do it better than she can, so I'm not going to try to say the the whole speech. Yeah. But I just, I do love that, like, you know, the price of bringing up my heritage as a negative as I collect your fucking head. Like, just no, you know, zero to a hundred as fast as possible. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to run the Yakuza, you got to be gotta be a bad bitch uh this one's from georgia there was a little bit of film in this bloodshed five stars <laughs> that's good now for the now for the the party poopers this one's from kai lucky she did not kill the bill half a star oh my god <laughs> Well, I have really good news for whoever did that. There's a part two, baby, and she does kill the Bill. It's not so much that, like, you know, she didn't even kill Bill. It's the she did not killed Bill. It's the uh-huh. horrible grammatic, grammatical error here that's just killing me. God. If you look and below this- the title, it does say volume one or part one. No, it's volume one. It's volume one? Okay. Mm-hmm. And this last one, this guy sounds so much fun at parties. This is from Jim Mearns. This is a half-star review. Fuck me. There's nothing like a bit of self-flagellation with a barbed whip on your day off. It's been about a decade and a half since I last saw this. Back then, I just thought it was garbage. This time around, I was both bored and angry. I know that a lot of people do like this, which I'm pleased as there has to be some saving grace to an experience akin to being locked in a room with Tarantino as he shows you clips of his favorite movies whilst masturbating. (laughs) Grow up, Quentin. 20 years later, you've still got your pants around your ankles. It's hard to pin down exactly why I hated this so much. It's probably the lethal cocktail of adolescent stupidity, abhorrent plagiarism, and characters about as deep as a yellow puddle under a urinal. Sometimes it's hard to see how he gets away with it. What makes it worse is he retroactively ruins the film he's plagiarizing when you're reminded of this shit. Pros, you can see and hear it perfectly. Cons, you can see and hear it perfectly. What movie is he fucking plagiarizing? I don't know. Tarantino has been called out for like stealing from a lot of underground unknown films. I there There's an argument there. I think he's homaging, but, you know, I don't know. But apart from that, I mean, this guy's just angry. Yeah. Like, Jesus, dude, relax. 
did you did you write a movie about a blonde woman like trying to avenge the death of her child like two years before Kill Bill and we're pissed that he beat you to it? What the fuck? No. What does he mean that characters have no depth? Yes, they do. What are you talking? Yeah, that's like the whole point of the movie. They have quite a lot of depth. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And the whole like, yeah, Tarantino's movies are very masturbatory. He is very much stroking himself the whole time. But you know what? We've all accepted that since Pulp Fiction. We're still going to see the show. Yeah. We really yeah. like looking at his dick. Pretty much. We're all there for the money shot. Dude. Dude knows how to make a goddamn money shot. He does. Yeah. It's that's all directing really is, is just jerking off. Yeah. But some people are better at it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's that's what I got. That's what's in the box. A lot of pent up aggression that I believe you could work out in a healthy way. And I guess, you know, I would be upset, too, if. I watched a movie called Kill Bill and they didn't kill the bill. Well, not if I knew that it was a volume one of a two part story. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. There we go. You got any uh, you got any reviews? I actually don't. No. Because. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. OK. Fair enough. This was a blast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message through the socials. Check out our Letterboxd accounts for daily reviews. If you search for me at Connor95 and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out the website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to that letterbox. You can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on Support This Podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month, and all donations go right back into the show. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their contributions. Thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music. Thanks to you for checking it out. Next week, we're tackling one of the most beloved films of all time. In fact, this will be the third time overall in the podcast history that we've discussed it. It's celebrating 30 years this year, and it's Caleb's favorite movie, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love Jurassic Park? I don't know, man. I'm sure I'm sure there's someone on Letterboxd. There's gonna be some jackass who's like, I don't even dinosaurs aren't even real. Or some <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> there was not one swing set. <laughs> that made me laugh. I can't wait to discuss this again. Uh we did Jurassic Park on Oscar Sunday back in the day. We did it on regular filmgasm. It was supposed to be Caleb's original debut on the show, but somebody we used to have on the team fucked me over on Leprechaun, so that didn't happen. <laughs> but this time, Caleb's going to get to do Jurassic Park the, the proper way, without rushing it, and we're going to discuss just one of the greatest films of all time. It's, it's, it's amazing. If you're going to execute an entire wedding party, make sure you get everyone. Otherwise, a lone survivor may just hunt you down and get their revenge. Take it easy, keep watching movies, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you.